Well, as Vernon has foreshadowed, I am not going to stick to your sermon outline. Surprise, surprise. Uh, the Holy Spirit just won't quit talking to me after I make these things out, you know. And I, as, I, as I was praying this through, I thought we, we really need to give more emphasis. By the way, you can go ahead and use this outline. Preach it anywhere you want. Perfectly good outline. Uh, I hate to see it go to waste, you know. Uh, but uh, um, I, I, want to, I want to go a little bit more on what it, the, the whole shepherd uh, theme tonight. And, it, and, it, and it's very evident that we in the 21st century um, have a difficult time relating to what a shepherd really does. But yet that's the essence of the scripture we read tonight. So we need to really deliberate what the charge was that he gave Peter. And by, that way, by the way, that charge was so seriously taken by Peter that he turned around and gave it also to the elders of the church. It says that, in, in this is, we could commence our flipping now, First uh, Peter chapter 5, first five verses, and I'll just, I'll just read editorially um, some of those. <clears throat> this is Peter to the church. I exhort therefore the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. And then he, he says, not lording over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And then he gives a charge to those under, under the shepherds. He says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, all of you. So this is a charge that is given uh, to Peter that he takes seriously, and then he gives it on. And I, and, I, and I want to talk to many of you who are in shepherding positions tonight. Some of you, if you're a parent, you certainly are a shepherd. If you're a boss, you're a shepherd. If you're a teacher, you're a shepherd. If you're a coach, you're a shepherd. Anyone who's given a certain number of people in their charge for a certain period of time can be said to be a shepherd. And this imagery is so strong in the Bible and so pervasive, it was used more than 500 times in the, in the Old and New Testaments. So we need to take it seriously and spend a little time on it. So I want to do three things tonight. I want to tell you what happened with Peter. Uh, and then I want to talk about what it is to be a shepherd. And then uh, I, want to, I want to finish with this thought. The charge that Jesus gave implied that sometimes when you can't love people directly... You can love them even better indirectly. You can love them by loving the people they love. So come along with me. This starts in the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John. Starting with verse 15, it says this. Now, now remember the setting here. Remember that he has been crucified. He has been resurrected. He, he, he makes appearances. He, he, he comes back and into the room and he bestows spiritual authority. But as we learned last week... The resurrection is not complete without reunion. And reunion really doesn't happen until Christ walks into your daily life. By this time, the disciples were back in their daily life. They were back at the Sea of Galilee doing what they had always done. And so Jesus walks right into their daily life. And he, and he, and he, and he just has cooked breakfast for them. I love that thought. He has cooked breakfast for them. And the, and the 15th verse says this. So when they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, John, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, let's stop right there because I've got a few things to say just about that remarkable sentence. First of all, you will see that Jesus is about to give Peter a chance to repent and repent as many times as he fell. That's the wonderful thing about our Lord. 
But to do that, he doesn't go to where he was as a disciple. He was named Peter. He goes to his name before he was the disciple, Simon. It would be like the Lord turning in the midst of, of you're absolutely in wonder that he's even there. And he turns and he addresses you by the name you went with as a little kid. It was that for some of you had um, um, uh, nicknames that you liked. <laughs> some of you, some of you remember what your grandmother called you. You know, it's that personal, that Simon. And this is to say, let's start at the very beginning. Let's start all over again. And, 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 and this very dynamic is, is that he is giving Simon a chance to reprioritize his life, retune his life. Do you love me more than these? Now, there's, there's, the, the language isn't specific enough to say whether he's saying, do you love me more than this fishing stuff, more than this regular life? Or do you love me more than, you know, how Simon or Peter boasted that if everybody fell away, he wouldn't fall away. And so Jesus may be coming back and say, do you really love me more than these? In either case, he's, he's doing the remarkable thing. The king of heaven is addressing him personally and saying, I, I, I want you to come back in tune with me. I heard a very neat story one time. I don't know whether it's true or not, but I love to read stories and, and it, it ought to be true if it's not. Um, <laughs> It's about this sheep herder in Montana some time ago, some, some, a, couple, a few decades ago. And, and he loved being a sheep herder. He loved being at, watching his flock by night, as it were. Uh, and he would go out, and he would go out with a, uh, he's a very poor sheep herder. Sheep herders aren't rich by nature, by, by job. And, and so, but he went out with his little transistor. Remember transistor radios? We had those little batteries and everything. And he would tune in to the symphony orchestra because he, he was an amateur musician. He had a, he had a violin. He loved to play. And, and, he would, and he would sit out and listen to that symphony orchestra and he'd play along with the parts whenever he knew them. But he couldn't, his, his, his violin kept getting out of tune. He could never quite be sure if it was in tune, especially the letter A. Well, he decided one time he'd write this symphony orchestra. We were back east and just tell him how much he appreciated their music and, and how he listened to them every night. And he was out by his sheep, you know, and he'd, he'd you know, play along if he could, if he could his, but it was his, his fiddle wasn't tuned right, especially the letter A. Anyhow, just appreciated him. Well, he was startled. Some weeks later, he tuned into his regular program. He's just already there for, and 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 the conductor came on and said, "Before we start our piece for the evening, we would like to play an A for the sheep herder in Montana." <laughs> Isn't that a cool story? Well, see, that's just like Jesus saying, "Peter, Simon, I'd like to play you an A." You need to get retuned. You need to come back on board and make sure you're exactly right with me. Simon, do you love me more than these? Now, another thing you need to see is why he brought up love at all. If he was about, about to give him a commission, wasn't, isn't a commission about behavior? Not in Christianity. Our commissions are always about relationships, not about behavior. Christianity is not a behavior modification system. It's about the affections of the heart. You know, we can think of Christianity as an ethical system. And it is only after we have come into relationship with God. As a matter of fact, if you would contrast Aristotle's uh, Nicomachean ethics, uh, 
um, um, that, that was named after his son, Acomachus. Uh, but if you, if you were to read that brilliant piece of work, you would read both logic and behavior, but you would not read of the heart. I want you to contrast that with Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a brilliant theologian and preacher um, um, centuries ago, and, and he wrote a treatise called Religious Affections. It was his assumption that the soul really had two faculties, one for perception or understanding and the other one for affection. And that that really is how we operate best when our soul is oriented with its affections on God. And so when Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? It wasn't just to reprioritize his life. It was a very real question. It's a question all of us have to answer if we are to expect the changes really to take place in our lives because our whole religion, our whole relationship is based on those affections. Do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Now you know why he was grieved, don't you? Because Simon knew that he, Jesus was giving him as many chances to publicly and verbally repent as he had denied him. As a matter of fact, the setting here is very much the same. They're sitting around a charcoal fire. And they were surrounded. These, Peter was around a charcoal fire the night that he betrayed him. And so as many chances, uh, as many times as he denied him, that's how many times the Lord gives Peter and us a chance to repent. And repent is both grief and relief. It is grief because as we look at our sin, we're, we're, we're heart sick about it. And it causes us grief. But it's also a great relief to be able to just to get it out there and be able to, to change. You know, repentance is a wonderful thing. Not knowing that you don't have to stay where you are right now. Listen to this. You, if you're in sin right now, you don't have to stay there. Listen, it's not falling in the lake that drowns you. It's staying in the lake that drowns you. You can crawl out of the lake. Get out. Repent. And that's what he was, that's what he was giving Peter. And he, was, and he was telling him how. Well, and he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Let's talk about sheep for a while and what it is to be a shepherd. I don't know much about it because I was raised in a city, although I was raised in a little farm town. It wasn't much of a city. We had farmers around, but I never visited them. So I get my, uh, I just, I, like I do everything, I read. <clears throat> and there are two books that, uh, that I've taken these impressions from. One is uh, a really a classic. Uh, I think it's Philip Keller's uh, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And it, it, Philip Keller's a shepherd, and he was a shepherd in East Africa. Uh, very, very much like the same conditions as would have been shepherds in the Middle East. 
And so he writes about those experiences and about the personalities of sheep. The other one is uh, from, uh, this is an odd place, but John MacArthur wrote a book uh, some time ago called The Master's Plan for the Church. And, uh, and John MacArthur, who's a teacher um, in the West, actually went to Australia and New Zealand to live for a while to observe shepherds, uh, to see their life. And he wrote some impressions about sheep. And so let me tell you about sheep because obviously there are some, um, f- some um, familiar, uh, uh, that's not what I'm looking for. Um, sheep has, has some of the same characteristics we do. Uh, I can't think of the word right now. Similarities. Thank you. Help me out here. Just shout it out. I need your help. There are similarities between us and sheep. And frankly, I resent it. But it, but it, but it doesn't make it any less true. And so we've got to face up to it. And so just see as I go along here if, you've, if you can identify with any of these. First of all, John MacArthur says that sheep aren't dumb. Uh, although I, I think that there are others who disagree with him. I don't have them real high on a mammal scale of intelligence. But he said they have a singular incapacity which makes them appear dumb. And that is this. Some of you may be able to identify with this. Sheep have absolutely no sense of direction. They don't. They get, I mean, you take a sheep a mile from, and he can't get home. He doesn't know where he is. Sheep aren't like dogs or cats or pigeons. They don't know where home is. And so for that reason, sheep love the familiar. They they, they won't move unless you move them, which is very dangerous for them because the first job of a shepherd, shepherd shepherd has two jobs. Those of you who are shepherds, who are shepherd anything, you got two jobs, to provide and to protect. That's your only jobs, okay? Just remember that. The first job of a shepherd is to provide. And what happens is if you leave sheep in the same spot for very long, they will absolutely ruin the land and themselves. Sheep will walk in the same paths every day until those paths become ruts. They will eat in the same place every day until not only has the grass been gnawed down to a nub, but the sheep have actually dug up the roots and eaten the roots so that no grass can ever grow there again. Sheep will reinfect themselves with their own parasites if they stay in the same spot. And so the first job of a shepherd is to do exactly what the sheep don't want to do, move them. You can't leave them there very long. You have to move them into new pastures for their own health and for their own provision. Now, the sheep don't like that because there's something innate that says, I could get lost. And there's two ways that sheep get lost. First of all, sheep are natural followers. They, li- they like the crowd, okay? They like to hang around other sheep. They're very social animals. But there's one way. They are. They, they, you know. Uh, uh, anyhow, the sheep. <laughs> I, I got to resist. I get, there's a time limit here. But, uh, but one way sheep get lost, and I've told you this before, is that they, they nibble their way lost. Sheep, sheep don't look up when they're eating. And so a sheep will just go from tuft to tuft to tuft to tuft to tuft. And a few hours later, the sheep will look up and he's lost. He never meant to get there. But by following the dictates of his appetite, he's lost. 
Anybody identify with this? Some, uh, some of you in this crowd tonight thought, I, I never expected to be here. I didn't, I didn't mean to leave the, the people I loved. I didn't mean to leave the God I loved. I was just kind of indulging here and there in my appetites. And all of a sudden, I'm in a place I never thought I'd be. What happened? You nibbled your way lost. Didn't mean to, but you did. So shepherds have to watch for sheep that are just nibbling away lost. Secondly, sheep are followers, and they will follow any sheep that looks like he knows what he's doing. <laughs> As a matter of fact, in New Zealand, there are 40 million sheep slaughtered a year for, for their meat. But the slaughterhouse people don't go out and just pick up a sheep and carry them in. The slaughterhouse watches the sheep very carefully, and they get a renegade leader sheep that they literally call the Judas sheep. And they know if they provide a way for this Judas to escape from the shepherd and from the herd, he will, and these sheep will follow him. And they'll just be whistling their way to their destruction. Because, and they won't know. They won't know. Well, a shepherd has to watch. There are certain personalities of sheep that do, will do anything they can do to walk outside the line, you know? And if a shepherd doesn't identify them and separate them from the sheep, he will damage, he will lead many to, to, to their destruction. So that's another thing the shepherd has to do. Here's another thing a shepherd has to watch out for. Sheep are indiscriminate consumers. Absolutely don't know good food from bad. Now some animals can kind of sniff something and say, that's bad for me, it'll make me sick. Sheep can't, they'll eat anything. Some, some animals can s smell brackish water and say, I can't drink that. It'll make me sick. Sheep don't. They'll drink anything. And so the job of a shepherd is to say, no, can't go there. Got to go here. Got to eat this. Got to consume this. This is what you need to take into yourself. <clears throat> Parents, let me just have a brief word with you. Have you noticed that children are indiscriminate consumers? It starts when you're little and you just stick anything in your mouth because you just want it in there. That's your natural. <laughs> and then after a while, you know, after your parents go, no, 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 no. Then, then the, the kids finally learn what to stick in there and what not to stick in there. And you think your job's done. <laughs> just began. Because the same thing happens with their minds that happened with their mouths. Kids will stick anything in here. They don't know. They just stick it in there. It's all equal to them. They don't know. So it is the job of a parent to say, mm -mm, can't stick that in your mind. That's censorship. Yes, it is. <laughs> Congratulations. It is, that's exactly what that is. When our kids were growing up, we knew what we wanted them to learn, what they needed to learn to be healthy long term. And we did as much as we could, and it was considerable, to keep the rest of the stuff out. We didn't let them watch movie, R-rated movies. We didn't let them watch um, um, bad TV shows. We didn't, uh, we didn't let them listen to bad music or, or music that sent them messages that were contradictory to the, to the Christian value system. We did not have cable TV in, in our house when we were growing up, or when they were growing up, not because we couldn't afford it, although I don't think we could have, but, but because we did not want them to be tempted to look at, at, at MTV and say, well, that's, that's pretty much how life is. No, it's not. That's a whole value system, and we didn't want that in their brain. We didn't bring that into our house. 
We didn't let them listen to certain kinds of music. Now, we didn't care rock and roll. Which the beat's not a big thing to us. But the, but the, 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 the rebellious and, and, and destructive lyrics are. When our kids were growing up, there was just this style of music uh, that was just kind of starting called uh, heavy metal. And Metallica was a big thing. Remember Metallica? Yeah. Boy, they were just bad people, bad music. And, and our kids were all fascinated about it because everybody was, you know, dressed up funny. And, and, and our kids were fascinated with that. And, but we said, no, can't listen to it. Won't have it in the house. Well, one time one of our kids brought home a tape, Metallica tape. And Becky saw it and just threw it away. Which she was, I mean, she's a tough, well, she's tough one, tough one. <laughs> well, you can't get around Becky. She's tough. And she'd throw anything away that she didn't approve of. So she just threw it away. And the, and the kid, and I can't remember whether it's Josh or Isaac, but one of them came to her and said, uh, what did you do with that tape? She said, I threw it away, just like you knew I would. He said, that wasn't my tape. I borrowed that from a kid at school. She said, threw it away. <laughs> she didn't care. She didn't care. Some of, and, and we did the same thing with their friends. You know, we knew some of those people were horrible influences. Can't hang out with them. Some people say, you can't choose your children's friends. Yes, you can. Why can't you do that? Of course you can. You may not be able to choose who they, who they like, but you can choose who they hang around with. And that's exactly what we did. Why? Because our responsibility was that of a shepherd. They don't know what's going to cause them harm or what's going to cause them good. You've got to, that, you've got to exercise that for them as long as they are in your charge. And, and the same thing is, and let me say a word to you, to you bosses who own um, um, companies. And, and, and maybe some of your folks are, are on the, uh, uh, working with computers and so on and so forth. You have every responsibility to see how they use that computer during their work hours. Every responsibility. If they're visiting porn sites, shut it down. Get the chip. Do something. You've got that responsibility. So the point here is that shepherds have a very important job in the, um, the discernment on behalf, of the, uh, on behalf of, the, of the sheep. The other thing is sheep are very easily intimidated. There are, there are very... Um, uh, timid and frightened species. And so they get scared a lot. You know, in the, in the 23rd Psalm where it says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. You know what it takes for a sheep to lie down? <laughs> a sheep has to, first of all, feel very secure. Because sheep will stand up and be ready to run if they're scared in the least. They're not going to lie down. So that shepherd has to make sure that that sheep is very secure, that he is not afraid of an attack from the inside or an attack from the outside, that the sheep is not really infested with, with a lot of, uh, of, of uh, distractions and frustrations that could take their mind off of the peace that they need. One of the, one of the uh, distractions that sheep have are, are flies. There's about a dozen different varieties of flies that really bother sheep. One is an especially insidious fly called the nose fly. I will not even go there with you. <laughs> but one of the things that the shepherd does um, to relieve the sheep of that kind of frustration, of course, if they have the capacity, they dip the sheep. <laughs> That's always killed me. If you dipped your sheep, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, but apparently they can dip the whole sheep. But if they don't have that capacity, what they do is they, they anoint. Remember the 23rd Psalm says, Thou anointest my head with oil. That's literally what a shepherd does. He will anoint the face of the sheep 
with this stuff that keeps the flies away so that he can be able to lie down and relax and get the rest that he needs. Now, as I say that, there's even a danger that does not come from the outside that is also a responsibility of a shepherd. Sheep, <laughs> this sounds funny. I didn't know this till I read. But apparently, sheep who have a full coat of wool, and by the way, that wool coat is very heavy. And because of its lanolin, it just gathers a lot of the world. Sticks, dirt, yuck, you know, so it becomes very heavy. Um, but sheep, when they do lie down, if they lay over on their side, and there's a little gully right there, they can roll on their back and not get up. Sheep, sheep are like bugs. If they have a big coat of wool, if they get on their back, they can't get up. So a shepherd has to go around and tip up the sheep. I never knew that. Because they'll get so frustrated on their backs after a short period of time, they'll die. The sheep on its back will die because it just gets frustrated. Or, I didn't know this either. Many sheep are of such tender nature that if you yell, at, if, you, if, you, if, if you stress it out, it'll give up and die. I didn't know that. I've often wondered why I never saw a shepherd yelling at a sheep. Now I know. If you see a shepherd yelling at a sheep, he has issues. <laughs> it's not for the sheep's good. It's, he, has, he has bigger issues than sheep care, evidently. But, but again, there are certain sheep and people that you don't need to yell at them. You just need to instruct them. You need to tell them the truth, but you don't need to yell at them. That's why I don't yell at you very often, because there are some of you that if I yell at you, you'll just give up. You will. You'll just close down. And, I, and you need, everybody needs encouragement. And, 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 and sometimes love covers a multitude of sins. I, there are things that, that you will be taught, and I know you'll be taught them, and I don't need to yell at you about them. I did hear a cute story. Can I tell this? I, I, I got to tell this. I, I read this in, in Joseph Stoll's book. Joseph Stoll is the head of Moody, and he wrote a book called Shepherding the Flock into the 21st Century. And he had, and he had this story in there about, again, I don't know if it's true or not, but... Um, about a rural preacher and his wife. And, uh, and they were having, and they had been married very many years, and they loved each other, had a great marriage. But they were having one of those evenings where you have an especially candid conversation. You've ever had one of those? And, and, and so the preacher looked at his wife and said, Honey, I got to ask you a question. He said, Have you ever lied to me? And she looked at him and she said, No, I never have. Never have lied to you. And so I thought he'd push a little further. He said, Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever not told me something or just hidden something from me? And she looked at him and she said, Oh, man, I wish you really hadn't asked that. She said, Yeah, as a matter of fact, there is something. And he said, Well, what is it? I won't be mad or anything. She said, I, I really don't want to tell you about it. But just suffice it to say that there's a box hidden in this house. And if you ever come across it, I hope you won't open it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, he didn't promise her anything, but she, she left that evening to go do something. And of course, that's all he could think about. <laughs> you know how it is. He started rationalizing it, you know, just saying, well, if I just, I wouldn't need to open the box, but I'm just curious to see if I can find the box. You know how it is. So he looks all over the house. Sure enough, he finds this box he'd never seen before. And he brings it up and he's trying not 
to open it. Well, now that's so stupid. The Bible tells us flee from sin, run from temptation. Why? Because if you stand around temptation long enough, you're going to jump in. It doesn't, you can't stick around in temptation, but he didn't. He just stood there trying not to open it. So finally opened it. Well, inside the box, there were three eggs and over $2,000. He said, this is just weird. Well, he closed up the box and put it back where he got it. She got home that night. Of course, he immediately felt guilty. They had a great relationship. So he confessed. He said, honey, I got to tell you something. I found a box. She said, oh, I really wish you hadn't. He said, well, I did. And I got to ask you about it. He said, what are the three eggs? She looked at him and said, well, I didn't want to tell you, but every time you preach a bad sermon, I put an egg in the box. And he's thinking to himself, well, we've been married for years. You know, there's three eggs in there. That's, that's probably okay. He said, well, what's the $2,000? She said, every time I get a dozen eggs, I sell them. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow. So the job of a shepherd, let's get this straight. The job of the shepherd is to be constantly vigilant and be able to be strong enough to protect the sheep both from predators and from themselves and from his own temper. That's the job of the shepherd. The reason I tell you all that is because many times in our life, we'll be in the role of a shepherd. And I want you to remember this, that when you're in the role of a shepherd, you have the opportunity to love the, the people who love them. Simon, do you love me? Then take care of my sheep. There would come a day when Simon wouldn't see Jesus anymore. But he could still love him in a sense of a very personal and physical way by taking care of the very people Jesus loved. There are those that you would love to love directly, but you can't. So the way to love them is to care for the people that they love. And in a way, that will mean more to them than if you had ever loved them directly. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this wonderful commission that you've given us. We really do want to tend to the sheep that you've given us. But Father, the best way we can do that is to remember what it is to be a sheep ourselves, to be tended by you, to be guided by you and provided for by you and protected by you and conformed to your will. So, Lord, we give ourselves to you right now to do exactly that so that as we care for others, they would have the sense of your care. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.